Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, home of the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me is... Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery. Hello there, Ian. Hello, listener. That was quite sultry, Matt. Like you were lying down on a chaise lounge. Maybe I am. In a smoking jacket, (laughs) just with a, with a, a small glass of port. Just saying your name to yourself over and over. <laughs> that's, that's what gets me going. Let me get this wheel spinning anyway. <laughs> that is really creepy. Uh, so, the topic so, that is the image I am going to be going to bed with tonight. But, um, topic for this episode is. It's two tribes, Ian. Two tribes. And I'm going to take this one if that's all right with you. Two tribes. Frankie goes to Hollywood. Where are you going to, Matt? I am going to Australia on tour with England in 1932. Australia. I've heard it's good in Australia, but uh, I don't don't know what it was like in 1932. (laughs) Well, I'm going with the England cricket team. So we're going to go all the way back. And and this is a famous tour. I think England and Australia probably have one of the most infamous sporting rivals in in cricket, uh, I think in world sport. These test matches, they last five days. They're grueling mentally, physically to be out in the field for for five continuous days. I don't think there's too many sports that would last that long. And the the Ashes, these these series, there's five five matches uh, or five tests per series. So you're talking up to around twenty five days worth of of sport. Um, normally spread out over a couple of months, so it's and, and it's a very very fierce rivalry. I think the fact that obviously Australia has the colonial history with with England or with uh, with the UK, um, the monarchy, all of all of this stuff, and then I think just a general sort of I don't know banter around it, you know. But a lot of a lot of the history and a lot of that rivalry goes back to, to 1930. Uh, in the 1932-1933 series, which is seen as sort of the most bad-tempered, um, fiercely competitive, you know, borderline hatred uh, series probably of, of all time. Well, I suppose to put, put it into context as well, Australia is quite a new country at this point. So I think the, you know, the only federation was only signed in 1901 to create the country of Australia. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, the well, the ashes. Famously, the ashes is older than Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And dare I say that um, there's an insecurity for Australians. Like the sport is definitely the the way that they kind of need to prove that they're on the same level, that they're capable as yes. a country. I think. <laughs> well, that's it. I don't, we might I, lost I, a few I, listeners after that comment. <laughs> I think I think Australia, the Australians, even now, there's nothing they like more than beating the English at cricket. Could, could I just say, Matt, if anybody isn't familiar with Test cricket and the Ashes and the Test cricket format, you are well within your rights to think that it's lunacy and it's stupid <laughs> to play five rounds of five days of cricket of standing in the field. <laughs> that is bonkers, uh, particularly in the Australian sun. Yes. But, yes, ni- 1932. Yeah, 1932. So at this time, England and their Marlborough Cricket Club, or the MCC, um, they're basically the the, be- the best. Okay, They're ruling the cricket world. 
they're the dominant force, but they do have a problem, and it's a very specific problem, and that problem is an Australian man called Don Bradman. Don Bradman is arguably the greatest cricket cricketer of all time, ever, in any part of the world. He, he is unbelievable, you know, I think he's, he's still, you know, considered by Australians to to be one of the greatest Australians of all time, certainly one of the greatest Australian sportsmen. And at this time, he is a thorn in the English side. And England are are due to go over and play Australia in in 32 into 33. But Australia have come over to visit England in 1930. So, and Australia won the the five test series 2-1 with Donald Bradman scoring 974 runs at a batting average of 139.14. So that means on average, he's scoring 139.14 runs for each wicket. That is an unbelievable record. It is incredible. It's an aggregate record that still stands today. It's 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 almost mind-boggling that somebody could have a batting average in a series of 139.14. It's just crazy. So by the time the next Ashes series rolls around two and a half years later. Obviously, because of the the way the Ashes calendar works, um, it's basically always every two and a half years because of the summers. You know, it always wants to be in the summertime. So the uh, the British summer of 1930, two and a half years later, it's sort of going into December, January 1932-33 in Australia. And, um, and by this time, Bradman, Donald Bradman, his average is now hovering around 100. Okay, so that means every time he goes out to bat, on average, he scores a century. Um, <laughs> that's that is it, like again, if you're not familiar with cricket, that is remarkable, isn't it? That is yeah. extraordinary. Like in in cricket, you've got eleven players, so that means and and they work in pairs. So to get you, so you need the opposition team needs to get ten of them out to end the innings. So. An aggregate, an average score is generally about a par score, probably around two hundred. You know, that's that's sort of normal um, for the for the team for the team for the team, for the team yeah, to normally. For <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe maybe people would say two hundred's low. It, perhaps it is, maybe two hundred, two hundred and fifty. But that's that's the sort of follow-on score. So that's the score where if you if you do less than that, you can put the team in and say. That's easy. So you can almost say the par score is sort of in and around 200, 250, just in, in all circumstances. And Don Radman is scoring 100 on his own, on average. He That's approximately twice that of all of the other world-class batsmen at that era. He is twice as good as anybody else playing the game, basically. He's unbelievable. He's a, he's a freak. He's totally, totally unique. And his ability as a batsman, is is a huge problem and a huge concern for England. They need to find a solution. So England's setting up to go over there and they're, they're looking at potential options. There's some ideas that maybe he could be dis- dismissed by a leg spinner. So they send over two, two leg spinners uh, in that English touring party. But they also have an idea that maybe Bradman could be vulnerable to pace bowling. So bowling fast. And they've appointed, England's appointed a new captain, an amateur player called Douglas Jardine. And Jardine really believes that Bradman struggles against balls that are bounced up into his chest. 
So he starts to form this new tactic to exploit this. But Jardine, the English captain, for his plan to work, he needs uh, the right bowler. He needs to find somebody who can execute it. And he finds a chap called Harold Larwood, who's a, a former miner from Nottinghamshire. And Harold Larwood has two key skills that that are going to make him an effective part of Jardine's plan. So first of all, Harold Larwood is incredibly accurate, and accuracy is essential for Jardine's plan to work. But secondly, he is devastatingly fast. All of Harold Larwood's contempor- contemporaries would say he's the fastest they'd faced. At times, it, it said that he could get to 100 miles an hour with the ball. That's 160 Ks. So he's he is quick. And he's accurate. And that is essential for Jardine's plan. So Jardine's plan is to use what's known in England at the time as leg theory. Bowling... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I thought you were going to... You know, because you're on your chaise lounge talking about leg theory. (laughs) thought it was going to get into some... uh tasty material there, Matt. But what is is leg theory, it sounds... It's basically... It's bowling fast and high-bouncing deliveries on the, the line of the leg stump of the wicket. So that's that's the position where the batsman would usually be standing. So Also, oh, like, because you kind of stood on your side, aren't you, in cricket? You stand to the side of your stumps, and that is called the leg side, because that's where your legs are. So basically, the idea would be to bowl and, and have it bounce up on that leg side, which is where you're standing. And as the batsman, you've basically got three choices. You either move out of the way, in which case you're exposing your wicket because you're you're leaving it unguarded by your bat. You could try and play the ball with the bat, but because it's so high and into your body, there's a chance that you're not going to hit it effectively and you're going to be caught by this cl- ring of very close fielders. So for it to be effective, you bring in lots of fielders very, very close on the leg side. Or you try and duck out of the way, but that's very difficult to, to judge the flight of the ball and where it's bouncing and, and obviously you're risking really painful bruises and blows from a from a hard cricket ball that's, that's bouncing up. So it becomes very difficult but in the 19th century most cricketers considered it unsportsmanlike to bowl at the at the leg stump or for the batsman to hit on the leg side but by the early 20th century some bowlers have started to do this. The, it, when cricket was resumed after the First World War, though, it, it was a pretty unpopular tactic just because it was very negative, because it meant that it was very difficult to score. You weren't going to hit the the wickets in that way. You were basically just almost forcing mistakes from the batsman. It's quite a negative style of playing. So it was it was pretty unpopular. Because it kind of puts the batsman in a defensive mode, doesn't it? And and, and they, they become very risk-averse. They're, they're not going to take chances... And and it's quite it sounds quite aggressive as well, like because the, the cricket ball is solid. <laughs> it's quite a quite a dangerous uh, thing to be hurtling at your body. Definitely, most definitely. Well, a hundred miles an hour, yeah, it's 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 very dangerous. And you know, these days cricketers, you know, when you you see them at the crease, they're covered in pads. They wear a box. Um, you know, they wear a helmet. They'll wear arm guards. Um, some of them will even wear chest protection. You know, they're, they're, they're pretty well kitted up, whereas back in the 30s, the, you know, the, those sorts of things didn't exist. Most of them wouldn't even be wearing helmets, let alone any sort of protection for their bodies. Well, it's probably worth mentioning as well, just, um, you know, Philip Hughes, who, who died at the crease, um, an Australian cricketer, 
in in 2014 who was padded up and and the ball hit hit his neck and uh mm-hmm. he he died on the field yeah. um so it's quite extraordinary that you know even in the modern day you see that a death could happen to a batsman um you know from from the ball being bowled at the pace that it is uh it frightens me when you watch the old footage of uh these blokes playing cricket and there's <laughs> some of them not even like i suppose they wear those uh cricket gloves and things but and a, and a box is very popular as well mass isn't it for, uh, <laughs> for, the, gen- for the gentleman <laughs> to uh cod piece um given all this leg theory surely the sporting nation of of england no less you know the the nation who brought sportsmanship to the world matt surely they're not gonna <laughs> go to australia and start pinging cricket balls at a, a fine pace uh, just to spoil a game well they definitely are because they need to beat Bradman and that's the mentality they need to win they want to win and as I said they've appointed this new captain Jardine who's uh, you know and obviously it's a long long journey over to Australia back back in the 30s and as they're on the way over there Jardine's talking to the England team and telling them his tactics and that's quite divisive in the in the team some of his team don't approve of these tactics. But Jardine is, is 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 quite a ruthless character, I think. He's encouraging the team to hate Australians. He's talking about how he wants to hate them. He always refers to, to Donald Bradman as the little bastard. He's quite an aggressive in his manner, and he certainly has aggressive tactics. So the first test is in Sydney uh, in December 1932. And ironically, despite all of this preparation for Donald Bradman, He's not playing, <laughs> yeah, which 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 is uh, which is a bit bizarre. He was working at the time. Obviously, these these guys were amateurs and couldn't get the time off. But Jardine actually thought that it was because Bradman was was scared um, or had 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 a mental breakdown in fear, and you know was really sort of talking up. I mean, Jardine was dreadfully unpopular with the the Australian press. He was very hostile um, to the media. You know, very aggressive in his. In, in the way he spoke but, but the body line tactics were employed uh, and they brought England victory Larwood um, the fast accurate bowler was particularly successful he got uh, match figures of 10 wickets for 124 runs which is which is very good but as I said these tactics were divisive because one of the English bowlers Gubby Allen he refused Jardine's tactics he refused to bowl with the fielders on the leg side and, and using the leg theory or body line tactics so, you know, it wasn't universally popular, even within the English changing room. And certainly outside of there, you know, there was complaints about these tactics immediately. There, there was bruises. Obviously, England have, have won the game. But there's there's claims in the press that the batsmen were being unfairly physically targeted. And it was dangerous. Interestingly, one of the English players, Petudi, uh, he scored a century on his test debut for England. But that was his sole test century because he was dropped after the second test because he dissented against the body line tactics. And um, when he refused to move to the leg side fielding position, Jardines apparently commented, Oh, I see his highness is a conscientious objector, (laughs) which which I quite like. (laughs) <laughs> and that was it. He was out after the second test. So England are 1-0 up in Sydney. And then the next test is is in Melbourne at the MCG. And Bradman's returned to the side. Um, but he's bowled first ball in the innings. Uh, he was expecting a bouncer and, and didn't get one. And he's bowled clean. 
Australia, though, they, they Fingleton, one of uh, one of Bradman's colleagues, holds the innings together. And in the second innings, uh, Bradman got an unbeaten century, which was sort of more more what he does. Um, that means that they, the England couldn't get him out. He was still standing. He was the last man in uh, on over over a hundred. And Australia have got their their first and only victory of the series at Melbourne. Uh, Australia won by 111 runs. So it's one all as we go into the third test. And this is the, the big one. And it's sort of, it's it's known as the most vicious test, the most aggressive test, um, maybe that's ever been played between these two sides. The media has been talking a lot about the body line tactics. Interestingly, so the English were referring to Jardine's tactics as leg theory. Um, Australia or, or the Australian media are referring to them as body line. So you can almost see just the language and, and you know, what they're talking about. It's the same thing, but obviously body line just sounds so much more dangerous. These sort of disputes in the media, complaints from the players, you know, the feeling that it's it's dangerous, the feeling that it's unsportsmanlike has, has sort of created this this fever pitch. So the, the, the test series goes to Adelaide. The, it's absolutely packed okay everybody's there there's so much intrigue and interest in this the English team are are not receiving any sort of warm welcome from a, a pretty hostile Adelaide crowd and the test begins and the Australian captain uh, is a chap called Bill Woodfull and he's left staggering around after he's struck by one of these body line balls from um, from Larwood England's bowler it hits the Australian captain Woodfull um, just above his heart, sort of in his chest. He drops his bat, he's staggering around, he's holding his chest, bent over in pain. And the England players sort of run over to him to, to offer some sympathy. But the crowd, you know, they're, they're not happy with it. They're protesting noisily. And uh, the police uh, have to increase their presence and actually surround the pitch because there's fears that there's going to be a riot. And then Jardine, the England captain, calls over to Larwood, the bowler who's just hit Woodfull in the chest and, and made him collapse. And he's given the comment, well bowled, Harold. <laughs> it, uh, that appalls Woodfull and it appalls the Australian team. They, they say Jardine was, was saying that well bowled to try and unnerve Bradman, who was also batting at the time. But that comment, it, it just led to fury and... As the game continued into later that day, there was there was definite fears that a riot was going to take place, and 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 it was all sort of the culmination of these feelings that had just been boiling up over the the sort of previous te- two tests over the sort of couple of months as this body line these body line tactics are are utilised. So Matt, I I don't know a huge amount about cricket, but a bowler bowls six balls, don't they? And then they change the bowler. Jardine is, is he's obviously managed to convince a number of England's bowlers to adopt this tactic. Is it because normally isn't it like six, you have six balls with a a fast bowler and then the spin bowler comes? You know <laughs> it changes. Mm-hmm. But are they kind of is it is the notion that they're all adopting this body line technique and yeah, mo- mo- basically they they're not all exclusively op- uh, using it. Um, and they're not using it for every ball. You know, it's it's a five-day test, so you have to vary your approach. But certainly, consistently, England are using these tactics. And it's not just Larwood. Larwood's England's most effective body-line bowler. But 
yeah, the, the, the England bowlers are all having a bit of a go at the the body line tactics that Jardine is is sort of forcefully um, um, deploying. That that incident there with Woodfull being cracked in the ribs and collapsing happens towards the end of the day. And as I said, there was a f- there was concerns that there might be a riot, but the game that d- that day's play ended. You know, shortly afterwards, I think there was only an, another over and a half. But the next day, another Australian, uh, Bert Oldfield, had his skull cracked by Larwood. So he'd played a long, long innings in support of Bill Ponford, uh, who scored 85. And in the course of the innings, the English bowlers are using the body line tactics against him. So he's faced a few of these short pitch deliveries. That's, that's the delivery where the bowlers deliberately bowl it short, far away from the batsman, so it's got more time and... and uh, more space to bounce higher and, and you know challenge their their head or their their chest, and having just conceded a four, so Larwood's uh, he's decided to bowl fractionally shorter and, and just slightly slower. That's a good tactic as well to go slightly slower because it it suddenly can surprise them if it's a bit you know if it moves slower through the air, it can be harder to judge. Uh, Bert Oldfield, the Australian, uh, has attempted to hook the ball, but he's lost sight of it and he's just edged it onto his own temple. And the ball's fractured his skull. So he's staggered away. He's fallen to his knees. Play obviously has to stop. Uh, Woodfall, the Australian captain's come on the pitch. And there's this angry crowd jeering, shouting. And once again, a riot seems likely. Um, Several of the English players actually discussed arming themselves with the stumps. If if the crowd sort of ran on the pitch, they were they were talking. <laughs> with the yeah, it was like that you gra- you great. grab that one, I'll grab this one. These with wooden sharpened sticks as to defend themselves because they were genuinely expecting <laughs> to be attacked. Just in case they got attacked by any vampires who yeah. were in the crowd <laughs> watching. <laughs> I mean, it's mad though. So that, you know, this guy's you know he's got a fractured skull. You know, we're not. They're not messing around here. This is really serious stuff. It's also quite interesting that despite this was a really contentious uh, tactic, that, you know, they've already had a near miss with the player in, you know, cracking his rib, but like, or, you know, going very close to his heart. You you would think that maybe that would, you know, soften. You think, oh, maybe maybe we shouldn't be doing this. But I suppose then the other, the other factor is maybe it, it actually emboldens you because you think, well, it's working. Yeah. yeah. We we want to cause them harm. We want to uh, un- unsettle them. And uh, maybe, yeah, it's, it's actually proof that it's it's working a treat. Well, that's it. I mean, I, I suppose the the mentality of, of Jardine and the England team at that point was, well, if you know, if you, if you don't, if you don't like the heat, get out of the kitchen. You know, we're not breaking any rules here. We are entitled to bowl as quick as we want into this area if we want. There's nothing against in the laws to say not to do it um and if you don't want to be out there you don't have to be you can you can walk off and we'll, we'll win the game it was uh and and as i said on the trip over jardine had really encouraged his teams to hate the australians you know his, his language about them was always very very aggressive very derogatory and yeah you know, he he wanted to win that was that was his priority but following this incident the MCC tour manager, so the, the English tour manager, a chap called Pelham Warner, went to, to speak to the Australian captain, Woodfull, and uh, try and smooth relationships. But Woodfull turned around and said, I don't want to see you, Mr. Warner. There are two teams out there. One's trying to play cricket and the other is not. 
and he sent him out. Which, and those that, those words might not sound that uh, confrontational. You know, they seem pretty pretty level headed compared to you know some of the things we hear now. But that comment was leaked to the press, and at this time, that was absolutely unheard of. The idea that a conversation that could take place in a dressing room would be leaked to the press. It, it was a scandal. Okay, it was it was really a scandal that Woodfull, the Australian captain, didn't want to speak to the the tour manager from England. You know, it was a sign of how hostile things had got. It was and it was very very unusual. And the fact that it was leaked to the press was was scandalous at the time. Also, the next day, the Australian Board of Control for International Cricket sent a cable to the MCC in in Lords in England. And they described England's tactics as unsportsmanlike, which is the ultimate taboo for the the, the English uh, Lords MCC Cricket Club. Um, you know, this this these are the guardians of the game. The, the fact that they would be accused of being unsportsmanlike was just totally unacceptable to to them. So Jardine threatens to withdraw his team from the two remaining matches unless the allegations retracted. There's cables going back and forth, newspaper reports, each newspaper uh, or each country backing its own players. And the situation escalates into a diplomatic incident. England are refusing to play the remaining two tests without an apology and a withdrawal of this unsportsmanlike comment. And the Australians are refusing to, to do that. It's, it's getting bigger in, in this standoff only ends when the Australian Prime Minister, Joseph Lyons, tells the cricket board that a boycott by the British of Australian goods could cripple the country economically. So we're at a stage where the Australian PM has had to wade into this dispute and request or or imply, sort of suggest, that the uh, the Australians might want to withdraw their comment. Because it's going to have an economic impact. That is amazing. And to put it into context as well, like this is the sport which is seen as very genteel. Everybody wears like white clothes. They play in trousers. They still play in trousers, but definitely <laughs> play in trousers. And they have cream tea and like, you know, afternoon tea and that type of thing, don't they? It's mm. so genteel. And it, it kind of the idea that this scandal, uh, this tactic, it would have really sh- shook things up in England. You know, the places that they play cricket on the on the village green, where they'd never dream of doing such. You know, probably they they would bar their own members from playing again if if they dared. You know, bowl dangerously against the their rival village. Exactly. Yeah. Well. Well, that's it. But you've got to think the British. And the MCC, they didn't really, they couldn't see what was going on. All they, all they could, they knew was what they were hearing about in the, in the newspapers, um, and and the newspapers, their supporters, basically. You know, there's there's not much uh, sort of empathy for the other side going on here. So they're being stoked on by their, by the newspaper reports. And yeah, it's interesting when when it sort of when the Brits did get back when the English returned. The laws were changed to basically prevent this kind of thing from from happening. But look, uh, just to, just to sort of finish this this tale, the the series continued. The Australians apologised. Um, England ran out four one victors. Uh, they won the Adelaide Test. Uh, they then went on to win at the Gabba 
uh, in Brisbane by six wickets and then the final and fifth test uh, at the SCG where England won by eight wickets. The fourth test, just as a, as a brief aside, it's a, it's a match best uh, remembered for the heroism of a guy called Painter, who despite spending much of the match in hospital with severe tonsillitis, scored 83 in the first innings uh, after, after leaving his hospital bed because oh they required the runs, um, which, which I just love. Uh, and he won the match with a six in the second. So uh, fantastic, fantastic little bit there. Um, as I said, England, England returned home uh, as 4-1 winners. But this was a, a huge challenge to cricket, to the spirit of the game, which which they talk about, you know, the laws ended up being amended to ban body line bowling or, or at least make it very difficult. And as you as you rightly say, some of those laws are, are still in place now and they're constantly being looked at, um, you know, to, to ensure the safety of players, obviously following Nathan Hughes. But, you know, the West Indies um, in, the, in the 80s and 90s were, were famous for their aggressive, fast-paced bowling as well. I mean, teams have teams have employed these tactics uh, to varying degrees through throughout history but this was sort of the first time it was done and it was certainly certainly the the, the sort of most ill-tempered and, and unfriendly uh, ashes ashes series i think great story mass body line really has that has forged a hatred between english and australian um sports people ever since so uh I'll tell you a little quick fact as well, Matt, just before we to round up the episode. Do you know what the Australian, uh, the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, their address across Australia is ABC GPO Box 9994, all capital cities, Australia. So they have the same post box in every every capital city. 9994 is the post box because that is... Don Bradman's batting average nine nine point nine four. Wow, how good is that? That is good. The idea that yeah, I mean he he was he's something else, right? You could do. We should do an episode on him altogether. He's absolutely different, different level. Yeah, because that uh, that batting average is often referred to as the greatest sporting achievement across any sport. <laughs> it's, mm. it's so remarkable. But anyway, thank you so much, listener, for being with us again for another one of the greatest sports stories ever told. Do us a favour. What I want you to do is just find your f- most favourite episode of The Wheel of Sport and send it to somebody who doesn't listen to the Wheel of Sport. Do that for us. Be kind. And uh, that way we'll get a few more people listening and a few more people exposed to these wonderful stories. And it'll cheer Matt and I up as well, won't it, Matt? Definitely. <laughs> so, most definitely. So, and share it on your social media, whatever. doesn't matter. Uh, but thanks again for joining us. And we'll catch you next time for another episode of the Wheel of Sport. Thanks, Matt. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.